you know, consistency is the big, biggest driver in this whole process. It's, it's not so much being perfect or hitting all your meals or hitting all your workouts and hitting PRs. It's just consistently doing the best you can. If you're always hitting around 85, 90% week after week, you are going to make dramatic changes. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Brian Cron, welcome <laughs> back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. What's good, brother? Hey, man, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. I'm above ground. <laughs> what can be better? Dude, uh, excited to have the opportunity to catch back up with you. Uh, we uh, recently had a conversation. I'm not sure exactly what episode, but it was probably about eight or 10 weeks ago. And yeah. it was a really good conversation. And we had a really, you know, a lot of positive feedback on that. And so I thought it would be warranted to reach back out and see if we couldn't get you back on the show for a follow up. <laughs> so that we could dive a little bit deeper you know one of the things that i i think that we experience with these these types of podcast conversations is invariably because of time and people's attention mm. like they end up being overtly superficial and mm. while i do think that we we were able to kind of dive into um some nuanced stuff uh, especially i appreciate you know us as having the ability to talk about your background and kind of trajectory through through coaching and where you are now and and how you serve, you know, the 40-year-old plus market uh, as far as a quote-unquote niche. I wanted the opportunity just to kind of see if we couldn't get a little more granular with some topics that I think people generally struggle with and honestly this is for as much for my own benefit as it is for for everyone else. So with all of that said, dude, thank you for coming back on the show. Hey man, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, you know, we were we were just kind of catching up right before we hit record. And uh, you mentioned that you're kind of committing to a few more speaking engagements. I've seen your name, you know, popping up here and there a little bit more. I'm curious, just, you know, generally speaking, like what has the impetus been towards that endeavor, a little more speaking and education? It's something I find, I find extremely challenging. <laughs> Uh, to do well. I'm not a, I'm not a gifted speaker by any means. I'm a pretty good writer, but not a good speaker. So it's something that I like to, I like to challenge myself as much as I can. And since I'm too damn old to challenge myself in the weight room much anymore, I got to kind of stay in my lane there. It's just a, just a way to grow. And I find that the, the pressure of doing that, even like just doing this podcast, I mean, before we got in the air, I was, you know, going over all my podcasting questions with you and stuff. And I just find that process, that little bit of anxiety and that little bit of nervousness, it, uh, it just gets my brain moving a little bit faster. And I, and I find I could just develop ideas that maybe I take for granted. They're in the back of my mind and I use them in my day-to-day -day work, but all of a sudden now I got to share them with just on a different audience, different medium. And it's basically it just makes me a lot a better communicator. And, and I think a better coach in the long run. Yeah. I I'd actually really agree with you there. And I'd be lying if I didn't say like every single podcast episode that I do, it's kind of, like butterflies in my stomach, yeah, like nervous. Yeah. And, and and to be honest, like there's always this little nagging pull of like, I should just fucking cancel it. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't want to blow it. It's kind of self-worth. Like, why, who am I to be doing this stuff? Yeah. And I was just curious if there was any of, of that, perhaps that's 
pulled at you over the years because you've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I have similarly, yeah. and I've experienced that. On the one hand, you think, oh, that's terrible that you feel that way or you'll get over it kind of thing. But I like it because it just, when I feel that nervous about doing something, you know, obviously I'm much more like I'm prepping and I'm prepping, like I'm focusing and I'm, and I, I don't know, I just kind of just digging up these old skill sets that, went, that I had back in, you know, 25 years ago in university. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, it's, yeah. it's nice to see. And I'm glad that you're, you're putting yourself out there and it's motivating for me as well. So let's, let's kind of jump into stuff here. I've got a kind of a, a milieu of questions that I'd love to, to throw your way based on our, our previous conversations. But yeah. one of the things that's been percolating a little bit um, since we last spoke that I've been observing in our industry is sort of, I don't know if it's a shifting of, of priorities or a shifting of goals, but, um, and, and you've been doing this longer than I have, or at least you've been working with this, this population longer than I have. But when we speak with, let's just say men and women over 40, whatever, for meatheads like us, like we always think that everyone is, is interested in gaining muscle and losing fat, <laughs> Not, right? And, and oftentimes that's the, the terminology that we use, which sometimes can be flat out offensive for people. Why wouldn't you want to lose fat? Like that's just yeah. ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but that's not actually the main motivator for a lot mm -hmm. of people. And I think we can agree that uh, health, longevity, um, mm -hmm. setting a great example for our kids is there. I'm curious what you're seeing and experiencing and, and perhaps having conversations around with respect to like mental health nowadays and how we leverage nutrition and exercise, if at all, to, to be able to kind of help people work through what might be a regressing issue. That's it. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, when you talk about mental health, like First, let's look at like the mechanical, like the brain health. And uh, I was just listening to uh, Peter Tia just uh, in the car today. And just according to him, the data is unequivocal. The number one thing you could do for your mental health to avoid Alzheimer's, uh, dementia, it's not even diet, it's exercise. It's, mm. That's the biggest lever that you can pull. So there's that aspect. But in terms of the other people think of mental health, they probably think more of like well-being and avoiding depression and stuff like that. I don't really have many people seeking inquire about coaching and say, you know, I'm just feeling kind of down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that's, but that's always, always a side effect of a successful, you know, whether it's a fat loss goal or just, or just getting in shape goal. That's one of the number one things they report is that I just feel better about myself. Mm -hmm. You know, my marriage is better. My relationship with my kids is better. I'm more productive. One thing I've learned is that everything's connected and yeah. you can't, you know, you can't separate the body from the mind. And when you get, you know, when, when one starts to degrade, you know, the other is sure to follow. And the opposite is true. So it, it is interesting. Like, I think as time goes by, we're going to see more people actually kind of skipping that step of, oh, I, I decided to get in shapes to lose weight. And holy, wow, I feel so much better. I'm so much happier. You know, maybe they'll actually just, I want to be happier. I'm going to get in shape. Maybe they'll right. actually skip that, you know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that might be very relevant just with sort of like, uh, I don't know, but like body positivity is like maybe people mm -hmm. don't generally care as much about mm -hmm. body comp as we did growing up in the 80s. And, you know, um, yeah. and it's more socially acceptable, which is fine. I, I do think being mm -hmm. our age or being in Ford in our 40s and, and 50s, <laughs> we don't really resonate with this kind of mental health. You know, maybe it, it hasn't really been identified through mm -hmm. our era but younger populations yeah. and i don't we don't need to get too far down the rabbit hole yeah. but definitely like younger populations 
you know, my sister, she's in HR mm-hmm. uh, for, for a bigger company. And so she's got a lot of 20 and 30 year old employees. And it's mm-hmm. like a legitimate sort of, I'll say excuse for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not dismissing it, but I'm saying yeah. it's, it's people are legitimately taking like mental health days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a net positive, that move of like that social acceptance of taking care of your mental health. I, I just like growing up, I had a very kind of, uh, basically I hung out with a lot of nerds and, uh, and probably half of us were seeing therapists and we used to be like, you know, in our little circle, like, oh, my therapist said this. It was just a big secret. Like, don't tell anybody you see a therapist. Right. Yeah. You no, know, everyone, you know, is, you know, it's just, it's just not taboo anymore as it shouldn't be, you know, especially totally. if you're, you know, if you're going through something dramatic, but yeah, it is, there's a flip side to everything. I mean, and I've, I've kind of finding, you know, maybe this is the boomer in me, but like, you don't need a mental health day. You need to go out and have a good day's work. Yeah. To go to the gym. You know, there's Personally, I think if you're not exhausting yourself in the gym, then you're not exhausting all your options to, to feel better. So, And that's where I just think there's so much validity. And you, yeah. know, you said it based on the science is like, well, are you moving your body? Because yeah. you know, we can kind of coddle you all you want and, mm-hmm. and leverage antidepressants you know, and, and anti-anxiety meds and you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But like, dude, if you're not moving and then you're not uh, fueling yourself correctly, well, uh, our you're options not, are, are definitely going to be limited. You're not giving your body a fighting chance or right. your mind a fighting chance. Yeah. So and one of the things that we um, discussed in our, in our last conversation was just, uh, you know, a lot of the nuances of how someone treats their, their training and their nutrition perhaps differently than when they're younger. And when we're younger, you know, it's kind of like we have seemingly all the time in the world to be able to train and structure meals and not have very many responsibilities, even though we, we feel quote unquote busy all of the time, it's nothing in our twenties relative to our forties, especially if we have kids and a career and what have you. And one of the things that you mentioned was a lot of the success that men and women have as we get older, uh, has to do with how we structure our day. Right. Mm. And so in your experience, I would love just some practical application guidance around, you know, what have you observed to help people be successful from a application standpoint around daily structure meals, perhaps we can kind of go in any direction with this. That is the, the most important thing. That is this, I don't say it's the secret sauce, but that is structure. Like structure is everything. As anyone with kids will know, I mean, that's, that gets tested soon, especially if yeah. little kids, it right. gets tested. And I've gone through that myself. I've had my kid much later in life and it's, you know, it's very much a creature of habit, get up, have my meals, train all, you know, the right. overgrown meathead lifestyle. Then all of a sudden uh, there's this little person who, you know, who needs me, you know, when their needs have to come first. And uh, it is a challenge. Like the value of structure is, is that it, it, a, it obviously it helps you be more consistent you know, consistency is the big, biggest driver in this whole process. It's, it's not so much being perfect or hitting all your meals or hitting all your workouts, that, you know, and hitting PRs. This is consistently doing the best you can. If you're always hitting around 85, 90% week after week, you are going to make dramatic changes. And uh, structure allows you to have that level of consistency. And again, it's, it's, it gets harder when you have a family and you have a young family and you're in you know, a busy job. And sadly, that is why. Every, you know, basically everybody gets up really early. Yeah. And there, if there's one thing that I think that's consistent above everyone in that, you know, that 40, 50 something bubble, with the young family and the busy job and all the demands, aging parents, all the, all these things, demands in your times that they get up early. And that, that time of when the house is quiet, that's when they, 
either do their most important task at work or they maybe they get that workout in. I mean, I get up so early, I do a little bit of both. Right. Um, because otherwise you just you just lose control of your day. Like because you're you're serving other people. You can't mm-hmm. just be serving yourself anymore. And that also is huge for mental health because if you can create this set of structure in your life where you're productive and you're getting things done, it's very reaffirming and it feels good. Like, okay, I'm I'm doing the things I need to do every day. You know, I'm getting my work done, I've got my workout in, got my meals all prepped. You know, if you could have that, it just it snowballs. Definitely. Yeah, it's 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 really just stacking those wins yeah. like every single day and like allowing you to have control. Whereas yeah. normally we're just like on reaction mode all of the yeah. time, putting out fires. And and fortunately and unfortunately, is most of us are in positions now where we have the ability to work from wherever we are. Yeah. Which is a double-edged sword because we're working from wherever we are. And mm-hmm. where it perhaps used to be is like, I'm gonna show up at the office at eight. I'm going to check out at four or five. It's like, no, I'm I'm starting work at 6 a.m. And, and then I'll take a break for the kids and get them off to school. And then I'll be working again and I'll squeeze in a workout sometime. And then like kids come home and then yep. we'll do dinner and then I'll be work again. And it's like, well, that might be beneficial for some people. It also acts as a massive deterrent because we're never truly in control of our time. Yeah, it is interesting. And um, the, the name of the principle escapes me. I'm sure you know, but if you you wake up and you have, wow, so you wake up at 5 a.m., you're an early riser. You have all this time to, to do your tasks, but they, you know, your tasks will expand to the amount of time that you allow right. for them. Always in the winter, especially you know, where I live, it's so cold in the winter that I'm at home a lot and I'll find I'll go, well, I don't know if I'll go days in a row without going outside, but it'll certainly feel that way. And uh, yeah. that's, 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 a, that's a problem with that lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where we are right now. Like in Phoenix, it's 115 degrees. Fahrenheit. <laughs> so, dude, it's like, I, I mean, I just got a, a workout in the garage. My garage is 95 degrees. I'm, I'm still just sweating my, my butt off, but I don't have to, you know, leave the house. Yeah. And it was funny. It, like, it was kind of yeah. fun and funny during COVID. But now it's like, dude, my wife's like, you, you still don't leave the house. I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah, good point. Okay. So, definitely having structure. And, and mm-hmm. I heard you, you know, allude to like, okay, having a morning routine and, um, I, I actually love to know what you observe is, is kind of just like an easy and successful morning routine. And, and I, I suppose by that same token, it's like, or at least what I've observed is having an evening routine, right? So we can like bookend yeah. the day, mm-hmm. obviously it contributes to effective sleep. We can all agree mm-hmm. that that's paramount. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and I think between those two, like it really can uh, mm-hmm. create the foundation for, for success in terms of building that structure, building those wins. So like, yeah. what do you see the one, two, three mm-hmm. things that people can, can focus in on for morning and evening? Yeah, I'm a huge morning routine guy. And the, the number one thing about them is that uh, everybody's is going to be a little bit different. As they say, like the, the, the morning routine begins the night before. Yeah, um, totally. I'd li- I never can do that. Like, I'd love to be able to do that. But for me, like that last 20, 30 minutes before I fall asleep, it's either um, either eating or, or do I'm usually doing something with my kid. Or I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not sitting with a pen and paper, like collecting my thoughts. Mm-hmm. But I, if I just get up in my day and I don't have any idea what I'm doing, just trying to start doing stuff, I will be completely unproductive. Yeah. I'll just go in a circle, <laughs> like a black hole of poor time management. But so what I do is I get up at 4.30 and probably the first 15 minutes is I'm just looking at my day and I'm just like, okay, what are my appointments? You know, what are, you know, my business has things I got to do every day, like you know, emails and stuff like that. And, and then what are my the kind of the themes for the day? Like for me, it's either it's writing programs or writing content or writing, writing. So I kind of schedule that first. 
Now it's summer. It's my kid is in school, so it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit more. You know, where's he at? Where, where? Who's looking after him today? Yeah. Um, but I figure that out very quickly. And those windows where he's not around, that's when I either do some deep work, whether it's writing or get get in my workout. So it's first thing in the morning. I kind of plan that out. It takes me about half an hour. By that time, the caffeine's kicked in, and that's when I go outside and I get uh, either thirty to sixty minute walk, depending on how much time I got. You know, if I could bottle that as an antidepressant, I I, I would. I mean, that, that I feel so much better. And, I, and it's interesting. I keep journals every year because uh, I always, as a bodybuilder, I always kind of diet every year. Mm-hmm. And I keep a little journal how things are going. And I just noticed looking over the years that my entries in the spring, April, May, June, were always so much more positive. You know, and I'm like, and obviously it's spring and it's, you know it's nice out here. But I really think it's because those are the times when I'm getting up early and I'm going outside and walking sunlight and moving. Yeah. yeah yeah and by the time i get home from that then really it's um it's it's on my kid is up so i get him ready and as soon as yep. he's out the you know as soon as i'm back from taking him wherever he needs to be it's uh do a couple hours of work and i try to work out around noon okay consistently and then after that it's back in the office okay so morning routine few seemingly simple things but for most mm-hmm. people i've observed this as well as like dude win your morning win your day mm-hmm. so waking up early yeah. Wake up early. times before other people and, and you got to be proactive yeah. about it is get up and, and yeah. kind of know what you're going to tackle and, and kind of have a, a systematic yeah. process for that. Oh yeah. And even though my day isn't planned in the morning, everything is set up for me in the morning that I get up and I'm planning my day. That makes sense. Like I got my water here. I got, you know, I just get up and everything's there in play. So I just, you know, sit at my desk and I start going out. There's no um, you know, I'm not, ser- I'm not searching. On- I'm not on my phone. That's the number one thing I do. I do not go on my phone. I might check my email or see if something blew up, but I'm not on social media, anything like that. And I just immediately look at, you know, what's on my calendar. What do I got to do? Yeah. And, and so- I'm assuming you take the same approach with your clientele. It's like, okay, what does the morning routine look like? What are we committing to? Mm-hmm. And, and how are we weaving in your, your fitness? And then yeah. what I'd like to do is I'd like to, you know, expand this mm-hmm. conversation into kind of building out the nutrition throughout the day. But First yeah. and foremost is like for, for most of your clients, like when are you weaving in fitness and how are you thinking yeah. about that? Yeah. Like that's on the very first call that we have, like right after they sign up, the first thing I do is I get them on the phone, which you know, might be a little counterintuitive for <laughs> an online business. But um, that's what I try to figure out is I say, tell me about your day. What's your day like? And, you know, and I, I try to get as granular as I can, meaning like their commute, how many kids you got, Yeah, you know. So I can figure out when they can comfortably or confidently say, yeah, I got to work out around 4 p.m. or 4 a.m., whatever it is. I won't even build a workout for someone unless I know not only the days of the week or or the number of days they want to train, but the time of day and stuff. And even because it just because I can figure out right away if they're overextending. Totally. You know, so I try to hear, oh, yeah, I think I can. I think I can work out five days a week. I got three kids, you know, two are in hockey. And I'm just like, okay, (laughs) like. Okay, I'm like, okay, five days a week. Okay, where's where's your gym? Oh, that's about half hour from the house. I'm like, okay, fuck, this is not gonna <laughs> totally. Yeah, so, I, I like the specificity because it's almost like you're challenging the client. Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, so I, I appreciate the fact that you think you're gonna train four or five days a week, but tell me specifically, like, yeah. when are you gonna do this? How are yeah. you how are you gonna fit that in? Okay, how about we make it in, yeah. in the sign of any good coach is like, listen, yeah. I gotta make this realistic for you. And then this is part of the art of. Of yeah. coaching is like, okay, how do we realistically weave this in so yeah. we can start to build momentum? Weave. Maybe yeah. you're right. Yeah. Maybe we start to yeah. to progress into four, maybe five days if even necessary. And and so let's talk nutrition. What are you seeing in terms of 
kind of the big priorities for for your clientele in terms of like meals, macros, meal timing? Like what's the mm -hmm. general needle movers that you're observing right now? Well, the number one thing, I keep saying it's the number one thing. I got I to gotta pick a, a new axiom. The, the number one thing, part, version three, now with respect to nutrition, the number one thing I find is you can get them to hit a protein goal. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying if you, can hit, if you can hit a protein goal, it cures all your problems. It cures the calorie problem. It cures the... No. But if you can get someone to consistently hit a protein target, if that's the only thing they'll track, let me caveat that way. Like if that's the only thing they can, they'll say, all right, I'll, I'll track my damn protein. If you can get them to do that, they're, well, not only are they going to eat enough protein, uh, they'll probably eat a lot less other stuff that they you don't want them eating. And the biggest thing is they're going to be engaged. Yeah. Okay. They're like, you know, they're, okay, what's, how much is in this damn thing? You know, and they're putting in their app or they're doing the math, whatever. And without even asking them to track their macros or their calories, they're doing it. Right. You know, probably to about 80% of if they were actually aggressively doing tracking all those things directly. So I try to get people at least tracking protein. That, that's probably the biggest rock. Now, again, context is everything. If somebody's a you know, someone's a seasoned bodybuilder, they're used to tracking things, then obviously that's it's too simplistic a step. But um, in terms of a quick and dirty that's effective, I would do that. Yeah, I mean, scope of this this conversation. We're yeah. definitely talking general population. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think that's super relevant. And, and yeah. I'm assuming your general recommendations are working up to around a gram yeah. per pound of ideal body weight. Exactly. Exactly. And again, this always comes after I've spoken to them and said, okay, tell me about your diet, right. you know, and then, and then have it, okay, let's keep a, let's keep a food long. So that's what they tell me about their diet, what they're actually eating. That eh, can be different. What's usually the biggest shift that people need to make in terms of like what they're currently doing to what they need to start doing in terms mm -hmm. of like which meals that need to make the biggest change? Do they need to mm -hmm. add meals? Do they need to, <laughs> to, to reduce the number of meals? Like where's, yeah. where's some of the limiting factors that are obstacles that people tend to uh, run into? First of all, they got to prepare. The number one obstacle, here's another, the number one obstacle I see is uh, these decisions made when it's 4.30, get home. No, there's nothing to, there's nothing in the fridge or there's nothing fast to the fridge. There's always, Lots of food, but nothing that's fast. You know, maybe you have some couple of kids who are crying and they're hungry. And so you make a convenience decision. Yep. Whereas if you had a little bit of planning in advance, maybe you could have had a pre-made meal. Maybe you could have made something in advance, like things like that. Those are, those kind of obstacles are, are they're very pervasive and they, they're very problematic. Apart from that, people often think that they, they have a lot more variety in their diet than they really do. And so you say, okay, let's follow a meal plan. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, I, I need variety. And then you're like, really? Do you really need that much variety? Because mm. you probably eat the same breakfast every day. Mm -hmm. um, lunch is probably, might not be an ideal choice, but it's probably, <laughs> maybe it's one of three different fast food joints, but there's probably not a lot of variety. And, and dinner tends to be more of a crapshoot. Totally. Even, even snacks are often very, very consistent. So when you get people to look, take a big picture, look at their, their diet, they're like, wow, I do eat the same shit every day. Like, yeah, you do. So how about... We just take those things that you're already eating, yeah, and we make it better. Maybe maybe we narrow down the portions, or maybe we just improve the choices, like do little things like that. And then all of a sudden, that's a kind of a mind shift where they're like, "Yeah, this isn't so bad. I'm already eating this way anyway." Right. It sounds you know? liberating to me. Yeah. For, for someone to acknowledge, it's like, "Ooh, like that's almost a relief because yeah. I thought I was going to have to overhaul everything, but like yeah. I really 
you know, I do like eating eggs in the morning. And so if yeah. I can keep eating eggs, but yeah. I can maybe add, you know, some vegetables or whatever to it, yeah. pick up a couple of pieces of fruit or, you know, oh, he told me like, I, I don't, you know, I can still eat out yeah. at lunch. I just obviously have to work a little bit harder to make sure I'm getting enough protein. Yeah. But if, if I can reasonably do that, well, that's, yeah. like I said, that's, that's reassuring for me to know that I don't have to, you know, do meal container prep every Sunday and like have the whole exactly. kitchen counter lined up. Exactly. Exactly. And then even and people have three choices at dinner that they can rotate through. Either they prepare them or they, whatever. They have three choices kind of in their back pocket. Then that's all of a sudden, that's enough variety typically. Yeah. And then there's the snacks. It's the later you get in the day, <laughs> that's it's the, the worst the choices tend to be. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of, you know, breakfast is usually pretty good. Lunch typically needs work. Um, dinners, that's, you know, again, that that's the one you tend to have to overhaul a little bit or at least tighten up and the snacks like and and that snacks includes wine and spirits and stuff like that you nail that down like it's a very very simple process really not easy but very very simple do you find best practices around kind of three to four meals per day like the bodybuilder in me would always say okay at least four meals a day (laughs) at least 20 grams of protein max out protein synthesis and i still believe that's optimal but the practical person in me just like let's just Whatever you're used to eating, whatever your your natural rhythm is, if you have a very kind of structured breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's great. Let's rock that. You know, I try to keep things as consistent with their natural rhythms, their natural mm-hmm. habits as possible. And yeah. it's very rare that I have to insert meals or, you know, it's that's yeah. Just, yeah, rare. So yeah, it's just we're we're trying to minimize resistance yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you you recommend everyone intermittent fast. Basically. Everyone, yeah. And <laughs> okay, keto. Cool. Keto That's vegan right. intermittent fast. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Keto vegan. Uh, perfect. <laughs> you just eat canola. You drink a bottle of canola right. before bed. That's okay. Yes. It's, uh, anabolic. Hey, friends. Quick pause in this episode for an exciting announcement. I'm thrilled to let you know that we've officially partnered with Fullscript to create our own very high-end quality supplement store. Fullscript is the number one online dispensary for professional-grade supplements. And while we do have our own small retail shop for our Complete Essentials training formula, we're often asked for recommendations when it comes to products outside of those that we carry. Now, as you probably have realized, the internet is the Wild West when it comes to supplements, and it's tough to find many of the best products from a reliable source and at an affordable price. I've heard many stories of people ordering something off Amazon and receive something completely different in the bottle, which can actually be quite dangerous when it comes to nutritional supplements. And so in the BSL Nutrition Fullscript Dispensary, we've hand-selected a few dozen of our personal favorites, and we've broken them into easily searchable categories, including Ben's favorites. Now, the best part of this situation is that due to the buying power of groups, we're able to get you a 15% off retail pricing on the entire catalog of professional products in our shop. These are brands like Designs for Health, Biotics, Research, Biobotanical Research, Microbiome Labs, Seeking Health, and more. So just click on the Join BSL Nutrition Supplement Shop in the show notes to create your free account and place your first order. Orders over $50 receive free shipping on top of our 15% discount on everything. And just so you know, The criteria we use to determine what went into the shop is, is the product something we would recommend and or take ourselves and give to our kids? 
Is the product of the highest quality? And can we provide a lower cost than is available anywhere else on the web? Now, we sincerely hope this helps you save money and acquire the highest quality products for you and your family. And let's get back to the show. So let's talk a little bit about social support and how big of a factor is social support in someone's success and and perhaps how should we be thinking about that as someone who perhaps is like just really starting to get into their health journey or making some concerted change like what do we need to be aware of the number one support is always at, as at home and um i think it's a big ask like if you're if you're married and you want to get in shape I think it's a it's a pretty tall ask to say, okay, spouse, husband, wife, I want you got to do this with me. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know that's it. But at the same time, you know, we're, you know where I'm going. You don't want to have the sabotage effect. You don't have, you know. So if you can at least have somebody who is, they don't even have to be enthusiastically supportive, but as long as they're like, are you doing this? You know, I'm not gonna wave pizza under your nose. I'm not gonna, you know, that's kind of an obvious example, but just little things to undercut you, whether it's not have the foods around that you need or or just the, you know. It yeah. might sound obvious. I'm sorry to interrupt. It might yeah. sound obvious, but you and I both know that it's not always common sense or sensical for that relationship. And in, in other words, like sometimes subconsciously there's quote unquote sabotage going on mm-hmm. and, and maybe rationalizing from the significant yeah. other, like they might feel a bit resentful that their partner's taking these concerted health steps yeah. while Mm-hmm. They feel like, oh, well, I'm not ready to do that, but it, that can get really dark. I've seen, right. you know, relationships completely fall apart because right. ugh, you know, not to play analyst, but like, well, one, you know, one party's in, you know, like, oh, you're right. getting too hot, you know, getting too hot, you just want to leave me because you're that kind of thing, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, or you're all, you're all into yourself now. When it, when the thing is, well, that the person who said that is just doesn't feel good about themselves, right. and uh, but ninety percent of the time. It's just like the other person just, you know, they're just, they don't want to go on the journey with them. As long as they're not aggressively, you know, talking you out of it or trying to sabotage, that's usually that's enough. But again, outside of the home in terms of support structures, I mean, that's the benefit. That's what CrossFit did so well. Right. You know, and, and if you can have a community, if you can't, especially if you can't have it at home, if you can have a community of support, that's huge. You know, yeah. just think of the, you know, think of the gyms that we know about off the top of our head. Like, what are they like, you know, Goals Venice and Westside Barbell and Bev Francis Powerhouse Gym in New York. They're always these, these, they're a community of bodybuilders, community of athletes. So like-minded individuals that are all kind of similar identities. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, with respect to in the home, because I agree with you, it can, can be a slippery slope. I think, you know, one of the most important things is to just really drive home, like, this level of communication that needs to take place yeah. 95% of the time, like there's no reason mm-hmm. your spouse would not be supportive of yeah. like you, you want to get healthier for our family and like set a better example for yeah. our kids and like look better. Like that's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Most spouses I would absolutely support that. I think it's just important. Sometimes there's, there's an overt level or expectations at play where for those of us that are undergoing the journey, like we're learning all of this stuff. We're learning like, yeah. oh, protein's really important and I have to set a morning routine. Mm-hmm. Like I need to get up at a certain time and there's certain things that I need to prioritize. And we kind of put those expectations mm-hmm. on our, our spouse to be like, oh, why didn't you know? Like we need to have yeah. a protein dense dinner. And so that requires <laughs> like this level of communication to say, hey, 
here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm yeah. learning. Here's mm-hmm. where I could use the support. And this mm-hmm. is specifically what that looks like. Would it be reasonable for you to, for us to kind of work together to be able to, you know, to do that meals, you know, mm-hmm. time schedule? Way more often than not, that's kind of the the way it travels. Is it's like okay, yeah, we, you know, they they have a discussion. One you know, one half of the relationship says, "I want to do this." The other, maybe they're not along with it, but they're at least supportive. And more often than not, they do it too. And it's just mm-hmm. they, they maybe they just see that the you know the other person feels better, they look better. Uh, it's it's rare that one person's going completely on a healthy tangent. The other one just oh, I'm stick with you're on your food. own, mofo. Yeah. You're yeah. on your own. Yeah. Uh hundred percent. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head outside of the house, but it's just like, listen, man, if you're finding that, you know, you're in the, in the bar with chicken wings and beer every weekend, mm-hmm. cause, yeah. cause the boys are, are, are pulling you into watching football um, and you're not making progress. You might want to consider changing that support system. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's um, what's the expression. You're the average of the five people you yeah. spent. Yeah. That's so true. I always feel bad for like single bombs. You know, like that's, you know, their, their time is stretched, their money is stretched, you know, they're the sole provider for their children. And then they got to find this other gear. Okay. I, now I got to make the best food choices for myself, you know, cause you know how my kids eat, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's like I got to prepare two meals and, yeah, that, and then you got exactly. the dickhead trainer who's like, they, they should eat what you eat. And- okay. Yeah. I, oh God. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the 20 something trainer who lectures a single mom, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in the day. Right. 100%. <laughs> Yeah. All right. You know, my heart always goes out to them because that's tough. Another classic demographic usually has to get up ridiculously early, either to prep meals or do a little bit of exercise before the kids take over the day because there's no one else to help. Mm-hmm. I just think about stress when you know we we talk about kind of the single mom, but how do we consider stress as a, as a role in kind of this whole process? I, I almost want to say like, how do we quantify stress? But I guess like what role does, does stress really play in this, in this process? And at what point do we really need to like, you know, take it into consideration, I suppose? Well, it's such a nebulous term and I've thrown mm-hmm. it around a little, probably a little too haphazardly myself, like stress. Oh, right. What is stress? Everyone's got freaking stress. You, you, you ever, ever in line at Walmart and there's like the, you know, the cashier maybe has, you know, starts to fall behind a little and you can just see her and she's getting stressed. She's getting like, she's, you know, her hands are starting to shake because, you know, maybe there's a you know, long line and her manager's glaring at her, even though in the grand scheme of things, like it's not like, it's not life or death. You know, maybe you're inconveniencing someone by a minute or two, whereas someone who's like a surgeon and it's not going well, they're, maybe they're losing their patient. They'll be probably be exhibiting even less signs of stress, even though mm-hmm. the stakes are much, much higher. Mm-hmm. So I think stress is something, the more you're exposed to it, you know, the more you just adapt and you still remain functional. So my point is, is like, what you think you can't handle, you know, oftentimes you can handle it once you, once you fucking handle it, you can handle it. But I do think one way you can avoid unnecessary stress, especially in this fitness process is avoiding all the rules and all the dogma and all the, mm. just the perfect example, like training programs. Oh, I got to work out four times a week and I got to, you know, I got to hit each body part twice a week. And I have, I have to, I have to, I have to, it's like, really? No, like mm-hmm. none of these things are hard and fast rules and they're all contextually depended on you and your circumstances and how much time and effort you can devote to this process. And so when you kind of put yourself first and say, okay, what my needs are first, like my schedule, my kids, my commute, those that's all first and everything else has to fit into that. And it'll still work. Maybe it won't be optimal, but it'll still work. 
When you adopt that mindset, a lot of the stress kind of drop drifts away. Yes. Then you get up, then you get up in the morning and you're like, oh, I just don't have time for a workout. And I'm supposed to do legs today. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I could just right. do it tomorrow. My body, you know, my body will still recover. Even if I got to do legs and upper body on back to, you know, all this bullshit that people worry about, the body will figure it out. So when you kind of realize that all these hard and fast rules, whether it's, you know, oh, I got to cut out food at 8 p.m. and all this bullshit that I hear, like what all this stuff is just nonsense and it doesn't move the needle. When you just forget all that, a lot of the time the stress kind of goes down. Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate that perspective. And it's definitely one of the things that I took away from our last conversation as as being just a, like a really salient point because it's just the shift in the mindset to give ourselves permission to just like be okay rolling with the punches, especially yeah. when we work with like analytical hard charging individuals and they're like, I want to optimize, tell me the, you know, the exact yeah. process, right? And it's almost like it digs them into a deeper hole because they get overly concerned around the minutia that mm -hmm. is almost setting them back. It's like, dude, if you just chill out a little bit and accept that we're going to focus on some of the big needle movers and some great learning opportunities along the way so that when you feel like you screwed up, mm -hmm. we'll just leverage it as, as a bonus, you know, whether it's learning opportunity, a, a deload, a cheat meal, whatever you want, you call it whatever the hell you want, but it's like, those are the behaviors. Those are the ways that you're going to develop those skills. And that's how ultimately, like you're going to give yourself permission to be successful long-term because the last thing we need is, is a 75 hard to tell me, oh, I didn't get in my second workout of the day yeah. on day 74 and I failed. It's like, dude, you just did 74 days of training like twice a day, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly stuff like that. I know. And, and it's especially kind of come from, we come from a harder core background. It's, it's a hard thing to embrace and to accept. It's like, oh man, I'm not going to be wishy-washy. If I want to do this, I want to do it as hard mm -hmm. as I can, man, I'll level up. But just some things are just not worth leveling up for. Like there is a point of diminishing returns and a lot of the stuff, yeah, like you say, use the, use the term needle movers. A lot of just stuff that people worry about do not, does not move the needle. And, you know, and God help you if you go online, just people will argue about the most mundane shit. What glute exercise you do, like, 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 like that kind of thing. It just, it, it makes such a small difference in the actual, the average humans, you know, gym outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's definitely like something we also talked about on the last call is like the, the, the calories and the sets and the reps just don't outweigh the mindset shifts, the behaviors, the, the consistency, the prioritization and just the structure, yeah. right. That we need to develop. I can, I can confess years ago, short, if I showed up in the gym and uh, whatever reason, something just, I, I was late for whatever reason. I would just turn around and go home. Fuck it, I'll come back later when I can. What I could do, by you know, like, <laughs> this is a long time ago. Nowadays, it'd be like, all right, twenty minutes. I got twenty minutes. All right, man. Well, I won't be able to do, won't be able to squat today because you know it takes you that long for this old body to warm up. But twenty minutes, I can, and it's leg day. I can crush out leg extensions, leg curls. I can do some lunges. I could probably hammer myself in fifteen to twenty minutes and leave thinking, all right, wasn't perfect, but damn it, that was good enough. You know, mm -hmm. and then. And then the next leg day, maybe I'll leave a little bit earlier and make sure I get everything done. You yeah. Know? It's this like uh this like mental malleability yeah. to just be able to embrace like, okay, what do I have to work with? Cool. Yeah. Let's, I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll, I just mm -hmm. do it the best that I can given the circumstances yeah. and we'll move forward from there. And when you can consistently, it's same thing. Like we talked about that morning routine, just like stacking wins, just yeah. one thing after the next. And you really are setting the stage. It's that compounding interest, right? For long-term success. And one of the things that 
is really, I, I, I'm going to say is becoming more and more recognized is the role of cardiovascular health, mm-hmm. right? Because we go through these ebbs and flows mm-hmm. of in, in the fitness industry and depending on which mentor or, or you mm-hmm. know, what sort of dogma we're, we're, we're mm-hmm. learning from, you know, we, we hear, okay, all you need is resistance training, or we should be mm-hmm. doing HIIT training or, yeah. you know, whatever. And, yeah. and so we're understanding the implications of, and the role of, of cardiovascular health, mm-hmm. right. Especially yeah. when we talk about you know, men over 40, like, yeah. especially like that are carrying more body fat, this is becoming paramount that we truly know how to positively impact these guys. Um, how do you look at metabolic health, blood pressure, and cardiovascular exercise with respect to the men and women that you work with? If longevity is the goal, it should always be a goal. Cardiovascular exercise is, is number one. And it's, it's unfortunate that this, this binary thing happened. And I went through it too. And, and it's like, oh, me too. Wait. Yeah. You know, and I do believe you could do a lot with weight training and you can, especially if you have a good aerobic base, you could maintain, you know, you, you won't improve it with weight training, even really, really intense you know, higher rep, rep training, you can maintain kind of some of that, that aerobic capability, but you're certainly not going to improve it. You certainly won't do anything for your VO2 max. Um, you have to trade those things, make it a priority. Now, you can do that concurrently with strength training. Now, is it is it better to focus on one or the other? It's probably better, best rather, to focus on one for a brief period of time than focus on the other for, for the balance of the year. But there's the days of just weight training, um, that is, that's just a terrible approach. I think with our lifestyles, yeah, it's very few and far between that we have someone coming in who's aerobically trained, who has yeah. an aerobic base. Like, listen, yeah. man, we are very, very sedentary individuals. Um, so our culture is lending itself to um, yeah. all of these, these cardiovascular yeah. risks. And this is where... I think it becomes so paramount to just understand the yeah. value of physical activity, especially aerobic physical activity and improving yeah. cardiovascular fitness. The data is there that it's, it's cardiovascular health and it's aerobic exercise. That's the, that's what pushes the life extension. And again, it actually improves your weight trading outcomes just because right. if you, if you perform, you know, cardiovascular exercise in that zone two, it's not that demanding. You can still hold a conversation while you're doing it. I mean, it takes up a lot of time. I think the last recommendations I saw is 45 minutes, four times a week. I mean, that's a decent chunk of time, but it's easy. You can actually do work while you're doing that kind of exercise. Right. Can a brisk walk around the block get you to that zone too? I, I think it can. I get pretty close and it makes your weight training better. It does not conflict with weight training whatsoever. The only, jet, the only downside is there's only so many hours in the day. So it can make sense just for a purely practical time management perspective. Maybe you have phases of the year. Right. Where, you know, it's a way, maybe when it's cold out, you do three or four intense, heavy weight training sessions and maybe a couple of cardio sessions. And then when it's nice out, you flip the script, you know, then you're getting, hitting all these training outcomes. And yeah, like the days of this, you know, that was a phase, I think it was what, 10 years ago. It was like, no, cardio makes you fat and cardio makes you weak and slow. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's like if you do hours a day at a high intensity, yeah, that's, you're not going to be, it's going to conflict with weight training. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I think what's, it, it's just the, um, the differences between, you know, there was so much talk around, oh, well, you can just do six minutes or four minutes oh. of high intensity. And it's as effective as 60 minutes of or 30 or 60 minutes of aerobic training. And then we have all these hit classes and 
you know, mm-hmm. intense boot camp classes. And, and yeah. so what I want our listeners to understand, because I've, I've spoken about this before, is like bottom line, like low hanging fruit here for someone, because in my experience and what I'm observing for what it's worth is like the vast majority of people coming into a program who are ready to start to make change do not have a existing aerobic base, yeah, which means big. you don't have to go to the gym and like throw yeah. yourself into spin classes or boot camp or mm-hmm. F45 and doing all these crazy like bouncing around and, and pretty high impact, seemingly ridiculous classes, unless you love it. Great. Like that's mm-hmm. awesome. But this is where you can just go out and do yeah. a brisk walk. And if you can get your heart rate into the zone too, and this is what I appreciate from some of Peter Atiyah's stuff, it's like mm-hmm. just really bringing life to and value to understanding mm-hmm. what that means and yep. how we can implement it and do that for four to six to eight weeks and see the changes that it makes in terms of how you feel. Like we talked about yeah. from the very beginning and your resting heart rate and mm-hmm. your quality of sleep and your anxiety and like all of these things, yeah. like, like we've got a massively beneficial tool at our disposal that has such a low barrier to entry. And I think it's also worthwhile mentioning, it's like, listen, for coaches that are listening, and I've been one of these for so long. So I'm taking, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm fully acknowledging that this is something that I flat out ignored for a long time, but we can't ignore it any longer because people like, we say longevity, but people are fucking dying Mm -hmm. in their forties from a stroke you know, yep. because their blood pressure is through the roof and they don't know it. Yeah. One of the dumbest things I see coaches do this all the time is they'll get uh, someone who has never really exercised much before. Yeah. Maybe they have high blood pressure, high resting heart rate. They don't have any aerobic training behind them. And they'll just right away, just get to lift weights. Cause that's how you shape your body, lift weights. Cause that's the best form of exercise. And right. Yes. I, you know, weight training is, I think is the best form of exercise, but that is a person who should start with lots of steady state zone two cardio work build up that aerobic base you know and then lower the blood pressure lower resting heart rate get some pounds off right right and you know expand the mitochondria (laughs) you want to get really technical right and then when then starts especially when it starts to you know because aerobic training does you start to adapt to it well to a degree but then start bringing in more weight training but just to throw somebody who's relatively detrained and in terrible shape and, and high blood pressure, just throwing them into just weight training, bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I, I agree. And I just, I, I wanted to, to bring some light to that because I just, I think that's perhaps one of the most valuable things that we as tenured trainers, so to speak, mm-hmm. is, is yeah. something that it needs to be discussed, needs to be yeah. discussed. Uh, and I don't think it's being discussed enough. So well, um, yeah, because we look at things always either through our lens of if you have any type of bodybuilding in you, you're like, oh, what's what, what helps me hold on to or build the most muscle? Yeah. Like, or we look at the outliers. There's always that one person. Oh, I got in fantastic shape without doing any cardio. Well, first of all, they're an outlier. And second of all, fantastic shape. How low body? They have low body fat. That's great. Uh, it's great to see. But are they actually in good shape? You know, what's their VO2 max? Like, what's their resting heart rate? So, like, there's more. You know, it's more than just what's meets the eye. You know, it's always reading between the lines. And that's part of why I wanted to have you back on and just even diving into some of these areas. I hope that for people listening, they're really understanding the nuances that are involved in this, in this process, like not only in the nutrition itself and the exercise itself and the structure involved in someone's lifestyle, of course, in 
and the science around these things. But I'm hoping that this is opening people's eyes to doing justice to their own health journey and saying, listen, when you're scrolling, when you're scrolling, you have to figure out how to take things into context. And it's very, very challenging to put things into context with only so many characters, you know, and no expression or tonality around what's being said and, and quick blurbs. And it's, you know, it's the nature of the beast, but I guess I I think um, a relevant question and, and kind of an ending question for you would be if, and when someone is ready to undergo kind of this health coaching process, start to make some concerted change, they're looking for a coach, what do you think that they should be looking for? Well, you know, the, the practical side of these is always, because I spend so much time on the internet and I see so much, you know, buffoonery. Look for, look for somebody with verifiable success with, so with populations similar to yourself. You know, do they work with people around your age, your, you know, your demographic? And do they have verifiable, like, do they have testimonials? Do they have, you know, people that you could even contact as opposed to just, you know, and I know it sounds like just looking at a string of before and afters, which, but um, we won't go there. You need to have some type of social proof that you can, that you can look at. And can you just talk to them before you sign on the dotted line, so to speak? I think a reason that people steer so much towards doing business online is that, you know, is, is because it, it avoids having that conversation where if some, you can probably sniff out somebody who's full of shit. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. If you actually happen to know someone personally who's had a really good success with a coach, I mean, there's no better, there's, you know, there's nothing better than that. The last thing you want to do is just, oh, that person looks great. I want to hire them to coach me. Even if they're the same age as you, and even if they've gone, you know, even if they have the had a great transformation or, or whatever, just in my business, I'm very, I very rarely talk about what I do, mm-hmm. not because it's there's some great mystery or secrets, just because it's I always tell my clients, it just won't apply to you. Right. You know, I won't apply. I do this all day. You know, like this is, this is all I think about. It's really, really depressing. You and know? you've been doing it, it for so long. And I've been doing it for so long. No offense. You know? Yeah, I know. Well, no, I'm not taking <laughs> fucking spades a spade. You know, so it's, you know, so I'll, I'll tell them what I do, but I'm like, I, don't do that. Just don't do this. Let's, let's figure out what works best for you. It's such a, and it's such a goofy industry that way is that we kind of put our brains on hold and we're like, that person looks good. I want to do what they do without even considering all the context behind it. Yeah. But it's, that is a very good question. Like, where does one start? I, I just know what I wouldn't do. <laughs> and that's, I want to look like that guy. You know, that's, that's, that's the one person I wouldn't hire. Uh, I would definitely do my diligence around yeah. all of the aforementioned things and, and just have a conversation. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, if you are so, sold on a program and it's i guess the investment is so reasonable that you can just you yeah. warrant i guess signing up right away i think that's one thing but i also think that there needs to be a reasonable investment for you to to kind of commit mm-hmm. to long term success which usually necessitates a conversation and that's yeah. where having that conversation should should be leveraged around okay like really two way street of of feeling out your prospective coach making mm-hmm. sure that they feel like you're a right fit for the program and that they have the tools to be able to help you get great success Mm -hmm. and that they're willing to acknowledge if they don't have the tools that they're not Mm -hmm. the right fit for you and that they're not Mm -hmm. like desperately needing you to sign the dotted line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like that's in my eyes, I think is Mm -hmm. 
is definitely something that is um, is warranted. I think it's very important if you, if, if you especially if you're not sure on someone, if you can, especially if you can get them on the phone. I know I don't do sales calls. Uh, not, not nothing against that. I don't do sales calls, but if someone wants to say, "Hey, man, I just want to talk to you about what you do," um, maybe that is a sales call. I'll do that. You know, I don't. Expect, I'll tell them, "Okay, okay, this is the approach I would take with you. This is what I would do." And then if they join up, that's great. But I think that you, that kind of extra step is really, really important, especially if you're not sure. And just to stress again, if if, if all a coach has is picks of themselves. Like to me, that's that is a red flag of somebody who's probably lacking confidence because they haven't they haven't made that connection in their head yet. As a coach, wait, none of this is really about me. Like, yeah, I mean, I look, yeah, I look great, whatever, you know. But all that shows is that really all that shows is time put in. Hmm. Like, you know, I'm the first to be. I I look the way I do because I'm 50 years old. And I've been working out since I'm what 14. Like, right. God, I better look at least. Like, <clears throat> you know, come on, man. <laughs> but it's it's like that. It's not. It's not a sales tool. Like it's not, it's not a selling point. If they could show you people they've worked with or they can right. show you their processes or, or they, or they could just frankly just show their character. That's probably number one. If you can get an idea of someone's character, just by the way, they, how professional they are and how they answer your questions and just how they carry themselves in social media, you know, things like that. It's often what people don't say. It's what they don't do. That tells me kind of, okay, you know, someone who's not always fighting and putting up selfies, but someone who's actually trying to be helpful mm-hmm. and, and yeah. like, that's okay. There's, there's someone, there's some substance there. I think that's part of why conversations like this are helpful yeah. for people is because yeah. it gives us the opportunity to just be ourselves, have real world conversations, like legitimately, like selfishly, yeah. like this is the best way for me to connect with people like you, other, you know people in the industry whom I respect and want to learn from them and reinforce ideas and just whatever, make great connections and network. And, and, and then, uh, you know, similarly, as it gives people a, an insight into who we are, what we do, how we think, mm-hmm. and an ability to just be transparent uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing. So I'm glad and 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 honored to have the ability to you know be able to support you in that and and hopefully mm-hmm. that can help send people your way. Um, similarly, I'm excited for you and your upcoming speaking gigs. Uh, is that anything like you want to share? Oh yeah, it's worth sharing. It's uh, if you're if you're in northern if you're in Western Canada, it's uh, <laughs> the name escapes me. Um, well, my friend Andrew, we Coates can we can it. put it in. Yeah, the, if you put it up yet, yeah, uh, we can put it in the show notes, but yeah. And uh, the Silverback Summit in November, um, okay. which is more of a men's health, but it's going to be a lot of fun. My friend Ali Gilbert's putting it on, and uh, it's more for the guys. But it's all about living, training, and optimization in your 40s and 50s. And it's really cool niche, and a lot of great info there. And that will be in Texas. In That's November. in Austin. Yeah, I'll be yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. So we'll yeah. we'll connect well, there, and then yeah, for those yeah. of you guys and gals, uh, yeah. to be fair, listening that want to come grow <laughs> out. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll put the link down below because it's yeah. going to be a great opportunity to, to yeah. connect with Brian, yeah. myself, other, yeah. other yeah. coaches in the industry and lots of just, you know, cool individuals who are also meatheads that want to learn and grow and, and connect with good people. Uh, anything else? No, that's it, man. I really appreciate okay. the opportunity. Cool, and, man. Uh, yeah. Dude, always a pleasure. We will yeah. definitely do it again soon. Good luck with everything coming up. I look forward to seeing you in person uh, in November. Take care, brother. Yeah, thanks. Bye. 
thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 